Good morning to each one. Greetings in Jesus' name. It's a joy to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. Today is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to you mothers. Mothers are precious in God's eyes. They're a blessing in God's plan. And may, may the Lord bless you as you rear your children and point them to Him. The message this morning, I, I don't plan to bring a Mother's Day message as such. The goal of the message this morning is to encourage each of us in our walk with the Lord and to be active in passing on the faith to the next generation. The message this morning is not just for mothers. The message this morning is for children, the children of God. It's for mothers. It's for brothers. It's for sisters. Titled the message this morning, A Word of Encouragement. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 1 for our sermon text. This is written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy to encourage him in his ministry. There's much, much encouragement here. I trust that each of us can be encouraged this morning. Here Paul is exhorting Timothy to be faithful. Paul knew that he was going to be leaving this earth. He knew that his execution was imminent. He didn't know exactly when. He was in a Roman prison at the time of this writing. I want to read to you the introduction in my study Bible at home that preceded this Second Timothy. It says, Prison is the last place from which to expect a letter of encouragement. But that is where Paul's second letter to Timothy originates. He begins by assuring Timothy of his continuing love and prayer and reminds him of his spiritual heritage and responsibilities. Only the one who perseveres, whether as a soldier, athlete, minister of Jesus Christ, will reap the reward. Paul warns Timothy that his teaching will come under attack as men desert the truth for ear-itching words. But Timothy has Paul's example to guide him and God's word to fortify him as he faces growing opposition and glowing opportunities in the last days. He, he uses this final letter to Timothy to exhort him in his ministry to the church to faithfully serve the Lord. Faithful no matter what the circumstance. As I studied this, I had to think, what is it that I would write to someone that I care deeply about? So let's read 2 Timothy chapter 1 this time. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers, night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also, wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God, 
which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our own excuse me, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Anephesus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, and in many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. This letter begins with the person who is writing the letter. He gives the author first. And then to whom the letter is written is followed in verse 2. Paul refers to himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And Paul uses this phrase often. He wanted people to know and understand that he didn't just one day decide that he was going to be an apostle. Paul was a man that knew, who knew that he was walking out God's calling in his life. God had made it clear to Paul that he was called to this ministry. So he begins this letter by saying, I am Paul, called by God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. It is important to understand that God is calling you, or God has called you, because Satan His will is to attack, and he will attack, and you will feel like quitting. If you question your calling, you will be much more likely to throw in the towel and say, it isn't for me. It's not worth it. I wonder how many times Paul was beaten and arrested and had the opportunity to say, I don't like this. This is not fun. He stayed with it because he was called. It was his calling. God had called him. He says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the, by the will of God. Paul emphasized. Notice also he doesn't just say that he was called, but he says, I was called according to the purpose of life. 
according to the promise of life. So as Paul is awaiting his martyrdom, rather than thinking about his impending death, he says, I have been called into this ministry according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. So we see his focus is not on his impending death. His focus is on life. His emphasis is on the life that is to come and that is important. A little later in the verses, we read, he talked about it again. He talked about life in verse 10. He's talking about Jesus and he says, our Savior, Christ Jesus. But it is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death. That is an interesting phrase for someone to say that is facing death. He's not thinking, I'm going to die. What he is thinking about is Jesus. That Jesus abolished death. Or we could say the power of the grave has been taken away. What has he done? He has brought life to light as well as the immortality that goes along with it through the gospel. You say, what is significant about this? There's much going on today that we could become discouraged about. We could sit and focus on the doom and gloom that is going on here or we can focus on the life that is ours through Jesus Christ. Paul talked about life in Christ like it was different from this life. One of the last things Paul said in his previous letter to Timothy, he was exhorting Timothy to tell the people who are rich to be generous to do good things for the poor and so on. I want to read that. Let's turn back a page or two to... 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. That last phrase in the NIV says, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And I like that. We tend to look at this life as the definition of life. But it's not the definition of life. It's not truly life. What we have to follow is truly life. Paul's focus was on the eternal, the immortal, or the everlasting life as he awaited the end of his physical life. He was excited about moving on to that life that is really, truly life. In verse 2, we see who the recipient is. It's to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. Timothy was not Paul's biological son. And to him he says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul thought much about his spiritual family, those that went before him. 
the Jews that followed God with a pure heart. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he made reference to the fact that people spoke into their hearts, but they didn't have a lot of people shepherding or as a father sort of a role in their lives. 1 Corinthians 4.15, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Paul literally took on people that considered himself, that he considered himself a father to. People he had prayed for and kept in contact with and continued to speak into their life spiritually. I know that some of you do this, and that blesses me. There are many people who don't have spiritual parents. Parents that aren't believers. And some of them don't have parents at all. And parents, do this for your children. We have this short window of opportunity to do that as far as them being at home. Then they get married and they move out. When your children are still at home, that should be our focus. To speak into their lives, to love them, to pray for them, to provide for them, not only physically, but also spiritually and emotionally. For Michelle and I, the past 15 years have passed by quickly. It seems like it was just yesterday that Brooke was born, but it's been 15 years ago that we brought her home from the hospital, put her in a little bassinet there beside her bed. Whenever she'd make a little sound, we'd see what's going on. We want to make sure we did it right. Verse 3. He talks about one of the most powerful things that you can do when you're a spiritual parent. Verse 3 says, I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with a pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Wouldn't you like to have someone remembering you in their prayers night and day? That is one of the things that spiritual parents can do. Paul considered Timothy a spiritual son, and he prayed for him. He says, I pray for you night and day. Notice the three words at the beginning of this verse. Verse 3, he says, I thank God. Before he tells Timothy he is praying for him, he says, I thank God. It's easy to thank God when life is easy. But remember, Paul is in a Roman prison. And Roman prisons were not fun places to be. They didn't pamper you in a Roman prison. Even in Paul's circumstance, he still finds things to give thanks for. And during this time, the gospel was actively being suppressed. Paul lived in a time when the Christian message was being suppressed. Then in turn, they were suppressing those who gave that message. If Paul could not preach, he would pray. 
Yet Paul was able to say, I thank God. He was facing martyrdom and he says, I thank God. I am thankful to God. Verse 4, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. It brought him joy as he thought about Timothy and his faith. Then in verse 5, he talks about what he is thankful for in relating to Timothy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Paul is thankful for Timothy's heritage as a Christian. Most of us know about that heritage. I say most of us were raised in Christian homes where father and mother loved the Lord and taught us about Jesus from little up. While others came to know Christ, even though they were not raised in a Christian home. If that is you, you have the opportunity now to raise others, to encourage others in the same way Paul did. And Paul was thankful for it. On Paul's first missionary journey, he came to a place called Lystra. And Lystra is where Timothy had lived. And while he was there, he shared the gospel and got into trouble while he was there. But it didn't stop him from coming back the second time. Ancient Lystra is part of modern-day Turkey. But when he came through, he started to hear about this young man with a vibrant faith named Timothy. And he got to know him while he was there. When Paul was finally ready to leave, he took, takes Timothy with him. The two of them had a close spiritual relationship that had a powerful impact on the churches that Paul visited and ministered to. Now this morning we are reading a letter from Paul to Timothy that 2,000 years ago that is still continuing to have an impact. This morning I am talking about speaking into the life of people. About taking people into your life as an adopted son or daughter. Understanding that the impact can be huge. It was for Paul and Timothy. Verse 6 says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Here we have Paul while in prison for preaching the gospel, telling Timothy to fan the, fan the flame, to stir up the gift. Why? Because Paul had gotten the attention of people who didn't like him very much. He says, stir up the gift that you have in Christ. And I can imagine Timothy is probably remembering what happened to Paul. And he may have the temptation to keep it low key. Remember, they're hauling off people to prison because they're Christians. Here this morning we have God's word telling us to fan the flame. Fan the gift of God. I get the picture of a small, smoldering fire. When you're trying to start with damp leaves and damp twigs, 
It may just sit there and smolder for a while. It's, it's like getting the leaf blower out. Let's get this fire going. Paul says, fan it into flame. Make a fire. Make a huge fire. The Bible also reminds us that the spirit of fear doesn't come from God. Verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The context here is that Timothy, I'm not asking you to keep this low key. I'm asking you to make it hot. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. We're not going to live in fear. We refuse to live in fear because God, because that is not what God has given us. God has given us power. It is through the power of God that we build up the flame and do the work of the gospel. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. A spirit of self-control. Fear is something that we probably all deal with at times. And in dealing with such fears, we need to understand that they are not from God. Then in dealing with such fears, we also need to understand what God has given us. And that is the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. When we do God's work, when we share His word, we represent His kingdom. And it is through His power. Paul was a man of deep love. But also a man who never shied away from confrontation. A significant example would be when he rebuked, when he publicly rebuked the Apostle Peter. Timothy already had a shepherd's heart, tender heart for the sheep. But Paul wanted to develop within him a boldness necessary to really lead and protect the flock. Then verse 80 encourages them further. Verse 8 says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Share in the suffering for the gospel. By the power of God. Not by my power or Timothy's power. It is God's power. It is by the power of God and it belongs to Him. Paul actually suffered according to the power of God. The power of God is always there. But it is not always there to remove the difficulty. Sometimes it is there to see us through the difficulty. Verse 9, Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Here in verse 4, we have four points I'd like to point out about our calling. Number one, God has called us to a holy calling. Holy means set apart. Set apart from what? Set apart from the world. Romans 12 tells us we are not to be conformed to this world. We are to be set apart. You are to be different from the world. 
Second thing I see here is our calling is not the result of our goodness, not according to our works. This simply means you didn't do anything to earn this calling. Paul didn't earn this calling either. You have a calling to be set apart for the Lord and to be different. You didn't earn that. He bestowed it to you. It's not because of works. Number three, our calling is based in the purpose and grace of God. God has a purpose for your life. What is your purpose? Your purpose is all about God's purpose, not yours. You have been called by His grace. He is the one who gives the power to fulfill that purpose. Number four is our calling was planned by God before the world began. Paul in Ephesians talks about this. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. God created your life to have purpose. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That means for serving the Lord. For doing what the Lord has called you to do. That is why you and I were created and placed on this earth. When did God prepare all of this? He planned out the purpose for your life before the world began. Wrap your mind, wrap your mind around that once. It blows my mind. Verse 10, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Now we have this statement in verse 12 where he says, I'm suffering, but I'm not ashamed. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. God is not limited in his promise. That is why what Paul is telling us here. He says, I am not ashamed. Though I suffer for the gospel, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Nor am I confounded in my expectation. His grace being at all times sufficient for me. He says, for I know whom I have believed. He says, I am well acquainted with the goodness, the mercy, and power of Christ. And I know that I cannot confide in Him in vain. When we focus on what He did and the promises He made related to what He did, we will have confidence, for He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Paul tells Timothy to follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. In the Greek, it actually suggests an action that Timothy needs to take in order to hold on to sound words. He's talking about the gospel, this message of truth that he has conveyed. He needs to take action or he is going to lose it is the idea behind the Greek word, hold fast. 
Hold fast to the Word of God. How are we doing this morning holding on? Hold fast to the pattern that is given to us here in the Word of God. We're to hold fast. And if we don't hold fast, we will lose it. It will slip out of your hands. Later on in this letter, Paul warns about this. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. They're saying, I will turn... I'm going to gather around people to tell me what I want to hear, what my flesh wants, the lust of my flesh. The last part of verse 13 tells us how to hold fast to the Word. It says, In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is how you walk out that holding fast. You do it in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Hold on to the Word of God in faith. That means we embrace everything that the Bible teaches. And we embrace it as trustworthy because it is God's Word. And that's important because there are many things in God's Word that are beyond our human comprehension. So if you don't hang on to them in faith, you probably won't hang on to them at all. There are some that struggle to embrace things in the Bible because they don't understand them. They just can't wrap their minds around them. Try explaining the Trinity to someone sometime outside of faith. So basically what they're saying is because it doesn't appeal to my own understanding of something that is comprehensible, I don't think I'm going to believe it. Basically, they're saying that it has to make sense to me personally or it can't be true. There are biblical truths revealed in God's Word that you have to decide at some point whether you're going to surrender those things to your own level of comprehension and embrace them simply on the basis that God has revealed them in His Word. So we hang on to the Word of God in faith. There are times when we must choose faith over the ability to comprehend. We're also to hold fast the sound teaching of the Bible by love. Again in verse 13. He says in faith and love. The reason for that is because the Bible also tells us that without love we are nothing. It is useless to know the truth of God's Word, but not love people. The Word of God defines itself as a double-edged sword, and it has the ability to cut deeply. But when it is used in love, it brings a cut that ultimately brings healing. There are times in my life when the Lord has convicted me through God's Word. Sometimes that conviction can be very painful. 
then there is this healing that ultimately comes from that cut. So what happens when the sharp edge of the sword is used? Or the sharp edge of the word is, of God is used without love? It cuts for no other reason than to draw blood. Because I'm going to be right no matter what. No matter what. And I'm going to prove that you're wrong. Without that love and compassion, we're not holding on to what is really important about holding on to the word of God. Verse 14, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. NIV says, guard the good deposit which was entrusted to you. To guard means to protect, to defend, to secure what he calls the good deposit that was entrusted in Timothy. So Paul is exhorting Timothy to hold fast and to guard what God has given to you. It is possible to stray from the word of God, so hold fast and guard verse 15, we have a sad example of this. He tells Timothy, I know that you're aware. He's talking about believers here that turn from Paul once the authorities got a hold of him. Once, be, once Paul became arrested, once he became an enemy of Rome, they got scarce. Fear had set in. Fear can have a controlling influence in our lives. Fear can cause us to do things that we wouldn't have done otherwise. If someone would have asked them that if Paul gets into trouble with the government, are you going to desert him? They probably all would have said, no, we would never do that. Remember Peter at the Last Supper. Jesus announced that tonight all of you are going to desert me. Peter was horrified at the thought. No way am I going to desert you. I am here no matter what. And you know what happened. They all deserted him. You have these good intentions and then fear. And difficult circumstances come into play. It can cause us to do and say things we wouldn't usually do and say. That is what happened here. Verse 15, This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Then there is one man who Paul commanded him. Remember, I said at this particular time, Paul was in prison awaiting execution. People aren't running to go see the Apostle Paul in prison. They're keeping their distance right now. So he talks about this one man named Onesiphorus. Verse 16, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. See, the Roman government didn't feel obligated to clothe or feed their prisoners. That was up to family or friends to take care of. And obviously, Ephesus did that for Paul. He brought him clothes, food, and whatever it was that he needed. Onesiphorus is not a name that you hear often. 
The name means bringing advantage. He didn't just help Paul, but he did. He did it at a personal cost. While others distanced themselves from Paul because of fear, Onesiphorus was willing to take the risk for his brother and didn't let fear dictate his passions. And that is what is significant about what an too often I let fear influence my actions. He says, Anephrasus was not ashamed of my chain. He wasn't afraid to be identified with an enemy of Rome. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. I don't know how many prisons there were in Rome, but he was on a mission to find Paul. And he looked until he found him. Of all the things that the Apostle Paul could have wrote about it in, his, in this letter to Timothy, he singles out a man that we know so little about. A man who was faithful and selfless in his actions towards Paul. And in verse 18, Paul offers a prayer for him. He says, the Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. He says this because in Ephesus was a man who gave mercy. He was a man who refreshed others. So his prayer is that in Ephesus would receive that back from the Lord which he gave. Which he gave so plentifully. And I have no doubt that he received that. I want to close with a promise found in Proverbs. Proverbs 11, verse 25 from the NIV says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So let's not forget these biblical principles that simply say whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Often we think of this in a negative in the negative, but it is also true in the positive. When you sow as a blessing in others, or in others' lives, you can receive back. That is what God's Word tells us. And that is what Paul is praying for, so I don't doubt that is what took place. So my challenge to each of you is, who will you refresh this week? Who will you be the Anesiphus to this week? He pressed through to refresh. It wasn't just a quick, if it is convenient for me, I'll do it sort of thing. It was very inconvenient for him to do what he did. He pressed through because he knew that Paul needed it. And he wanted to bless this man. I don't doubt that this man was an answer to prayer. We need people like Anesiphorus in the body of Christ today. And may love be the motivation for our actions, not fear. May the Lord add his blessing. Shall we have a song?